0: We're nearing the end of the year, and I'm so grateful to God that you're still with us. Our chapter for today is Hebrews chapter 11. It's been called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And so we're going to get right into the text today because there is a lot to talk about. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report or a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Now, that is the definition of faith, biblical faith, the best one that we have in the Bible. But just as I read that and you read it over and over again, many of you have read it time after time. But you can read that and still not know what faith is. And let me tell you why. Concepts that are transcendent, the more abstract the concept, the more vivid, the more numerous have to be the illustrations that help you to understand that abstract concept. You see, we are material in our thinking. And we want to concretize everything. We want to make everything to where we can touch it, we can experience it. But faith is not like that. Faith is in another realm. It is a concept that is so ethereal, so abstract, that our minds have to have something to wrap our spiritual hands around. And so God gave us the definition of faith. That is, it is evidence of things we can't see. It's substance, but we can't touch it. We can't feel it. With our senses, we cannot sense it. And so God said, I'm going to help you to understand it. And that's what he does in all 39 verses. And so beginning in verse 4, God gives us illustration after illustration after illustration of what faith looks like, of what it feels like, of the effects of it. He talks about Abel and Cain. He talks about Enoch. And then he talks about Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly reverence and fear. Now, think about this. Noah had never seen it rain. It had never rained. What are you talking about? Pastor, never rained. Well, the Bible says that when Adam was alive, that a mist went up from the earth and it watered all of the garden, all of the earth, and indeed it did. You see, most conservative scholars believe that there was a canopy of moisture around the earth. You see, there was an ocean above and an ocean below. It was a greenhouse effect, and that's why today the flood is the answer to all of the fossils, all of the petrified trees that you find in the Sahara Desert, all of the oil deposits that are under the earth. All you have to do, I don't have time to do this and speak to this in this podcast, but look up petroleum oil, crude oil, and see how it is formed, and see what forms that crude oil, and you're going to find out that what happened during the flood was that God turned sections of the earth upside down. When the Bible says that the water prevailed for those days and it rained, it wasn't ordinary rain, it was a deluge. It was a flood. Of biblical proportions, that's right. And so the waters above came down on the earth and the subterranean waters of the oceans and everything, the continents cracked apart, everything. It was a total upheaval. Why? Because God was starting all over. That's right. He was starting all over. He was destroying the earth as it was, not doing away with it, but there was a difference after this. There was a difference in every way. And so I read an article recently that showed a picture of a tree that was 300 feet In length, huge, it looked like a huge sequoia that had been laid down, just laid down, uprooted, laid down, and covered with mounds of earth, tons of earth, like a great flood had come in, been turned upside down, and it was in Thailand, that's right, and it was petrified. It is an amazing thing that we find this all over the earth. People try to say that that was millions and billions of years. It won't be long it will be trillion to have to explain what they want to explain. But all of that can be answered in the flood. And I want to encourage you to look at the Institution for Creation Research Look at Answers in Genesis with Ken Ham. Because I believe, just from a scholarly standpoint, that the flood answers most of the questions that we find that are trying to be explained through evolution. But you see, Noah had never seen it rain. And God said, it's going to rain. I'm going to destroy the earth. And God gave Noah 120 years to preach the judgment was coming to get right with God, to repent, but they did not do it. So during that time, he built this great boat. The ark, the chest as it was, was built, and indeed the flood came. But Noah had never experienced anything like that, but he trusted God's word more than he did what he had experienced. He trusted God's word over what his own senses told him. He trusted God's word more than anything on this earth. That is what faith is. It's taking God at his word and believing that God exists. Not only does he exist, but he rewards those who seek him And believe that he is. Now, this is what the scripture says over and over and over again. But it is no clearer than in verse 6, just before he starts talking about Noah. But without trust, without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that there is a God and that this God is personal and will reward those who diligently seek him. So he goes on to talk about Abraham. He goes on to talk about all of these great heroes of the faith. But when he comes down to the end of the chapter, there are so many that he can't even talk about all of them. In verse 32, he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched The violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All of that to say, go down through that list and see if you can pick out who those people were and what book they're found in. That's an exercise in trivia. Biblical trivia, that is. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. And you might want to look up in biblical tradition who it was that was sawn in two. They wandered about. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, torture. Torment. Doesn't sound like the health and wealth boys of today, does it? Name it and claim it, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And listen to this. And all these having obtained a good testimony, a good report through faith, through faith, not by their works, but through faith. They did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect, whole, complete, apart from us. Now, think about this. Abraham, the father of faith, father of the faithful, the one that God struck the blood covenant with. Now, think about this. Abraham was promised a land, a lineage, a heritage. He was promised the land of Israel and what he had tread on, what he had seen with his eyes. God said, lift up your eyes and look. And as far as you can see, it's going to be yours. But do you understand that all Abraham was ever able to claim was a field and a burial place for he and his wife and his children? That's right, out of all of the promised land that God said, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants, Abraham never saw that. No, not in his lifetime, but he was looking for something beyond that. All Abraham was able to claim for himself as far as what he actually was able to touch, to feel, to experience was a grave plot. But God had something better for his children and his descendants and for us. Think about Moses. Moses was promised. You get to take the people out and take them to the promised land, but because of his sin, he never set foot in the promised land. He got to see it with his eyes, but never experience it. Now think about that. Isaiah, the book of first Peter, first Peter chapter one says that of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit who was in them, was indicating, was telling them when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah 53 is one of the most poetic and beautiful depictions and descriptions of the crucifixion. That is in human syllable or sentence. Yet he didn't understand how that could be. Why? Because it says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported unto you. They couldn't understand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. You see, Isaiah prophesied of the great crucifixion, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, the Messiah. And yet... In just a few chapters over, he talked of this suffering servant that would give his life as a ransom for many, and yet he would rule as king over all the earth, as the Messiah. He would reign in a time when the wolf would lie down with the lamb, and the lion would eat straw as an oxen, and the child would play on the hole of a cobra. In other words, they would live in a day of the Messiah, the messianic age and era, when it would be as it was in the period of the antediluvian days before the great flood. All I'm saying is that these great heroes of the faith, they didn't get to experience what we do, and we have experienced so much more than they did. But God prepared something great for them, and he has prepared something even better for us and in the next chapter, we're going to see that because we have been entrusted with so much, and because so many have gone before us, that we are without excuse, and we should never be bitter about God's chastening upon our lives when we have hard times, because God is working out something better for us than we could ever dream. For on the way, this is Tony Chris.